for this morning. All right, Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 26. And so let's pull up our graphics here. All right, here's our graphics. Uh, going further in the joy of faith. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 25 is our theme uh, verse for this series. And having this confidence that I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. We talked about that word furtherance as a pioneer advance. And um, so here's the theme for our series. All right, here's our series proposition from chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoicing is not based on our circumstances, but rather on the certainty of our relationship with our Savior. And so we can rejoice in the Lord today. All right, so here's the title of today's message specifically. Uh, Paul's joy in serving. So let's read verses 19 through 26. Beginning in 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, that with um, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life uh, or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I know not. For I am in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of the faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. So Paul is saying, hey, listen, uh, you know my situation right now. I'm in prison. I might get out of jail. I might die. He says, you know what? If I die, for me, that's a far better thing. But right now, what I live, for me, everything is about Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, there are some hard choices. You know, when you're in your teenage years, when you're in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s, you don't really think about heaven a lot because your body is working pretty good, right? But when you hit 50 for some reason, uh, you know, you hit that youth of old age, and uh, you, you begin to think, heaven's not such a bad place after all, all right? And um, we don't typically think of death as something that's good. But you know, for the Christian, physical death is far better. Now, that doesn't mean we're suicidal, right? It just means that we have a hope that when we die, there's something far greater that is waiting for us. But until then, how should we live life? Well, as Paul did, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But to live life right now is Christ. 
were there chains on his wrists? Well, if there were, then those were his bonds in Christ Jesus. Were the enemies that we read about last week causing trouble by their selfish preaching? So what? They're preaching Christ. Were his friends worried about him and praying for him? Fine, that exalts Christ. Was there the possibility that he might die? Well, then Christ would be magnified in his body through death. This single mind of putting Christ and the gospel uh, ahead of everything else was Paul's driving ambition. He wanted to serve God and he wanted to serve people. That's the heart of the two greatest commandments in Matthew chapter 22. The first and the great commandment is to love the Lord your God. The second is like it, love your neighbor. And so Paul had joy in serving God and in serving others. And so the Lord's will for Paul's life, was it to remain in this life? Um, because if it was, then it would be helpful for the Philippians' progress and joy of the faith. For him to live was Christ, to help others make progress in the joy of their faith. That's why you exist. Husbands, you exist to nourish and to cherish your wife to help her make progress in the joy of faith. Parents, you exist to help children advance in their faith and the joy and the progress. Christian, you exist to help your brother and sister advance in the joy and the progress of their faith. Life is about Christ and his church. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about his will as we live for him. And so life is blessed, for it is Christ. Christ who is our life, Colossians 3, 4. Not I, but Christ that liveth in me. This is what Paul was all about. So Christ is giving meaning and coherence to both life and death. Would God be magnified in your body in death? Is he magnified in your body through your life? Is your life pointing to Christ Jesus? And so Paul's outlook is very bright. He basically says, I can't lose. All right? So look at verse 22. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I know not. Um, whether he dies, he wins. Whether he lives, he wins. Hey, Christian, look at the hope that's right there in that statement. You win no matter what. How you live your life in making progress in the joy of your faith, if you're living it for God and you're living it for others, you win. And if you die doing that, you win. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to think about. Uh, the Apostle Paul giving us this instruction. All right, let's look at some specific thoughts here. There's just really two of them today. Um, 
Paul had joy in serving because he lived for Christ. Um, this is our first point here. This is his earnest anticipation. Uh, so let's go back up to verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Um, Paul is saying, look, I know that this is going to work out. You're praying. You're, you're involved in this. All right, so turn to my salvation. Now, salvation here in this sense is not the salvation that leads to the forgiveness of your sin, but the way that God works all things together for good. That kind of salvation. When circumstances don't seem to measure up to our experiences or what we want them to be, they don't measure up to what we think would be facts, well, then that's where we live by faith and God saves us. And we get to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And so this is what Paul is saying. And so it's used in this very narrow sense in this definition, all right, the, the healing of the body and of self-preservation in a physical sense. But there's also this other kind of salvation, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But this is salvation in an immediate sense where he would be released from jail. Um, where he could come back to minister to them. I was uh, talking to a, a person one time. I said, tell me your story about how you were saved. And they said that they had actually tried to commit suicide. And they were trying to hang themselves, and the branch broke. And so, therefore, they were saved. I said, well... Thank you for sharing that story. I've never heard quite a story like that before, and I'm certainly glad that God did save you from physical death on that day. Now I've got some great news for you. Not only can you experience that physical salvation, but you can experience spiritual salvation and proceeded to share the gospel, and that individual came to know Jesus as their Savior. Um, but there is that sense when God saves you from trouble. Have you ever been spared from an automobile accident? Have you ever been spared from some kind of an injury? Well, then the Lord saved you. And so this is what Paul is talking about. He's going to save me from, from prison, from jail, from, from death. And so that's the salvation in the immediate sense. Uh, Paul was released, uh, we know from church history. He was able to go on a fourth missionary journey. And uh, he was able to write the letters to pastors. First and second Timothy, Titus. Philemon and so forth. Um, and then he was apparently rearrested and then beheaded, beheaded later uh, during Nero's reign. But he did experience this deliverance and he was able to go back to the Philippians and to minister to them. But then I have a question for you. What about salvation in the context or the way that we always talk about it? Has the Lord saved you eternally from your sin? Are you saved spiritually? And uh, so this is just this general sense. And so Paul is, is saying that Christ saved me spiritually. And I have believed in my heart. And with my mouth I have made confession unto salvation. 
Paul said that salvation is to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. You see, a lot of people today don't know that they need to be saved. Without the preaching of the law, people don't understand that theft is wrong. Don't understand that lying is wrong. They don't understand that disrespect to parents is wrong. They don't even understand that murder is wrong. They don't understand that taking the name of the Lord in vain is wrong. So we, we have to preach the law, and that slays us and shows us that we're a sinner. We cannot save ourselves. So then with our sin problem, we can't fix it. Who's the only one who can? We know that's Jesus. And that's salvation in the spiritual sense. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so are you saved today? And so Paul had joy because he lived for Christ. This was his anticipation. Um, Paul's confidence then is based upon two elements. Let's look at this. First of all is prayer in verse 19. The prayer of the Philippian Christians. Um, this is what we call intercessory prayer. Have you ever heard that term before? It means that you go to God on behalf of another person. You're interceding. And so the Philippian believers have communicated to Paul that they're praying for him. Do you know what our society does right now when it hears that Christians are praying for people? Oh, a lot of good that does. That's their attitude. But you know, sometimes we as Christians, we may not think so bluntly in our mind, we just become practical atheists in the fact that we just don't pray. We get wrapped up. Sunday might be the only day that we pray. Folks, prayer is so important and vital. You're going to really need prayer during this process. And guess what, folks? It's going to work. Because there's a God who delights in hearing prayer. And so Paul says, I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayers. This is why you pray for your missionaries. This is why you pray for your pastor. This is why you pray for your spouse, your children. This is why you pray for your neighbors. It's because God hears prayer. And folks, it can be the, the craziest things that you pray about, but God just delights in answering them. I mean, I've prayed for some pretty crazy things in my life. I've prayed for a foul ball, and I received it, all right? Um, I've prayed for serious things, like the salvation of friends and family. Some I've received, some I haven't, but I'm still going to keep on praying. But prayer, Paul is saying, look, your prayer helps. So come out on Wednesday nights, every other week. Get involved in that prayer service. Show your support. Be involved in prayer. And so the prayers of the Philippian Christians. So somehow sincere, persistent, intercessory prayer releases the power of the Spirit in a most unusual way. Okay? 
And the only reason why you're not going to have any answers to prayer is if you don't ask. Now, I'm not the, typically the kind of pastor who thinks that businesses that we transact with owe the church anything because we're a nonprofit. But occasionally, it doesn't hurt to ask. And so this last week, I was trying to work very diligently within a budget, and I had this letter of nonprofit status from the IRS and from the state of California, and I went to a business and I said, you know what, I just, I don't think in any way that you owe us anything special because we're a nonprofit, but would you consider a discount? And they said, do you have a letter that shows that you're a nonprofit organization? So I, I said, yes we do, but it's at the office. They said, well go get it and bring it back and we'll take it into consideration. Well, they gave us like two or $300 off. And it's just like, thinking, wow, that's great. But you know what the guy said to me? He said, well, you don't know if you don't ask. Well, you don't get answers to prayer unless you ask. Right? So ask away, and, and God will hear you. So ask away. The second reason for his confidence is down here, uh, at the end of verse 19, the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, this word supply is very interesting. It's a term that's originally used of a wealthy patron that equipped a choir, okay, or a dramatic production. In other words, footing the bill. And so, who's supplying the power to answer prayer? Who is supplying power for a church? Who is supplying power for you as an individual believer? Well, it's the supply of the Spirit of God. You do know that a backhoe can pull a boulder out of the ground a lot quicker than a breaker bar, right? Let me just give you an illustration. Remember last week I was telling you that I was in a contest with the stump over there at the parsonage? Um, I was digging and digging, I had uh, like a four foot breaker bar, you needed like an eight foot one, I didn't have one. Um, I had a wide shovel, had to get a narrow shovel, and I just kept chiseling away, I was using a sawzall and going at it, I was using a pickaxe and going at it, and using a, 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 a nine pound sledgehammer and going at it, and that thing was not moving! And I was like four days working on this crazy thing. And so finally, I just said, you know what, forget it. Let's just back the expedition up to that bad old stump, wrap a chain around it, and give it a tug and see what happens. <laughs> and Janice was out there, and it's like, it moved a little bit. So, <laughs> all right. So I backed it up and put it in drive, and <laughs> oh, yeah, it moved like three inches that time. And the next time, it ripped right out of the ground, right? So when you're trying to live life in your own power, it's like trying to remove that stump by hand. But when you rely on the power of something much greater than you, that's living in the power of the Spirit. And so, look, walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, don't grieve or quench the Spirit. Those are your responsibilities. But the Spirit will supply the power that's necessary. And Paul had great joy in serving Christ because he knew it was the Holy Spirit that was making his ministry of any effect. It's the power of the Spirit. 
And then Paul had in verse 20 an expectation um, were the assistance that would be given to him according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. I'm not going to lose either way. I'm not going to be disappointed. All right. Um, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the power of God. Paul said that the one who calls upon the name of the Lord shall not be put to shame. There, there's no embarrassment when you believe in Jesus. And so this is what he's saying here in verse 20. I'm not going to be ashamed no matter how this turns out, but with all boldness as always, and, and so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be life or by death. So no matter what, how this turns out, my expectation is I win because God is glorified. My life is about Christ. So if it's life, he hoped that he would have the courage to live or to die as a true Christian should. If it was death, then we're all familiar with situations that are so dreadful that death would seem to be a relief, but that's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is communicating is that death is better than the best of life. Think about that. That for the Christian, death is better than the best of life. Um, may I just say that there's a heresy that goes around called the prosperity gospel that says you need to live your best life now. Do you know who I'm talking about? Okay, he's a famous author, has a huge church. Um, folks, Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. And this is not your best life. Paul says to die is far better. To be with Christ is far better. And so he was not longing for death in the, <laughs> out of, as a way of escape out of unbearable circumstances. He was longing for it in the way into unspeakably glorious life. So we're so many times trying to escape this. So let's go down to verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, whatever means that Paul had to live his life, it was all about Christ. What is your life about? Is it about a bigger house, a nicer car, a better body, a bigger bank account? Is it the best job, the most satisfying career, or is your life about Christ? And this is what Paul is saying, for to live is Christ, but then notice at the end of verse 21, and to die is what? Is gain. We think of death in the term of loss. Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. Yes, it is loss, but for the believer... It's a far greater gain. It's not soul sleep where we just are put in a coffin and we cease to have consciousness until the resurrection. That's not gain. Gain is to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. We're immediately in his presence, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. So Paul has made serving Christ the central driving purpose of his life. And after such a life, death can only mean gain, for rich rewards await the believer who's been serving Jesus. Be careful 
how you build on the foundation, folks. Wood, hay, and straw are going to be burned away. But gold, silver, and precious stones will endure the testing of God. And you'll come through with rewards that will be in eternity, that great gain. All right, so Paul had joy in serving because he lived for Christ. The second point here, and I know it didn't change much, but the last line did there. Paul had joy in serving because he lived for others. So let's look at verse 22. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I know not. For I am in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of the faith. You know that Paul was willing to do whatever a sovereign God chose for him in his life. But notice the, the selflessness of Paul. I'll stay and be a servant, is what he's saying. I, I would rather stay on this earth and serve you if it can leave, lead to the furtherance of your joy in the faith. I'll choose that over going to heaven. Wow, folks, that's quite the choice, isn't it? I mean... I've got a lot of investment in heaven. I have a Savior there, but I also have a lot of friends, and I have a lot of family there. It would be great. But Paul is saying, I would rather stay in this life so I can be your servant. And that will help you to grow in the progress of faith. And so he expressed the conviction that fruit would be the result from his continued physical life. For this will be my fruit, verse 22, the fruit of my labor. Christian, are you bearing fruit in your life? The fruit of the Spirit, and there are nine of them. The fruit of righteousness, the fruit of soul winning, the fruit of discipling, the fruit of answered prayer, the fruit of seeing other Christians advance, pioneer advancing in areas of their life. Think of what Paul is doing here with the gospel. He's taking the mind of these Philippian believers and he's showing how that the gospel advances into areas that humans have never thought of before. The advance and the joy of facing death with hope. The, the joy of the advance of faith in uncertain circumstances. The, the joy and the advance of faith in service. This is all new advances into territory that these people had never thought of before. And so no wonder why Christ can go above and beyond and do uh, what, far beyond whatever we face. So... One circumstance would be beneficial to him. That would be a martyr's death. Or second thing, his release would be beneficial to the church because he would have more time to preach and teach and encourage them. Now, look here at this uh, thought that he has in verse 23. For I am a straight between two. You ever heard the expression between a rock and a hard spot? And that's what Paul's facing. 
be honest, that's what you're facing. That's what I was facing. The difficulty of those choices. But yet, Paul had joy because his circumstances didn't dictate his happiness. Paul had joy as a torn man because his expectation was in Christ Jesus. It was all about Christ. And so Christ, if he's your focus, you're going to go forward. You'll advance in new territory. So let's just relate this to the, the, the whole situation where you're going to need to find a new pastor in a few months. You're going into uncharted territory. Would you agree? Shake your head. Right? Come on, be awake out there. Can you advance? Yeah, you sure can. Can you have joy in that advance? Yeah, you sure can. How? Focus the mind on Christ. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Trust in the Lord, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. Fixate on Christ, and you'll have joy as you advance into uncharted territory, and this church will rise above. These circumstances don't steal your joy. They give you an opportunity to advance in your joy all that much more. Not that this is all that important to you, but when I resigned Cornerstone at the end of 2017, we did not have a church that we were going to. We ended up hanging out with my dad for three and a half months until the will of the Lord was known. We were in communication with some churches. I want to tell you, the uncertainty of that time brought us the greatest joy in just watching Jesus do what he does. Without an income, without a, a ministry, so to speak, but you know, the wonderful thing was, in those three and a half months, I was in 11 different churches preaching the gospel of Jesus. Just because I didn't have a ministry didn't mean he put me on the shelf. Just because you're going to be without a pastor for a short time doesn't mean you sit on the shelf. You're going to see the great joy when your confidence is in Christ and what can take place here. So, Paul had joy uh, because he had a conviction that he can remain to serve, that he had a, a focus on Christ. And so, yes, it's, it's a difficult thing, and there is being torn, but it doesn't take your joy away in verse 23. And so, verse 24, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And so Paul wanted to stay and minister to them. And so then, uh, close it out in verses 25 and 26. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for your furtherance and joy of the faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant. Where, folks, in verse 26? In Jesus Christ. 
for me by my coming to you again. So it wasn't necessarily Paul's person. It was Paul's Savior. It was Jesus. And so he has uh, three very interesting things as you look in verse 26. An abundance, more abundant and overflowing. For Paul, Jesus was always the basis of joy. Uh, here's another thing. Um, it would be Paul representing Christ Jesus. Uh, he brought Christ to them, and, and they longed to see him again, but yet it was Christ that he was preaching to them. And then third, they would boast because of Paul's presence with them again, but that would set the tone of joy that would come over and over again in their life through the work of the Lord. And so these are three complementary thoughts in closing that Paul says about joy. He would be able to bring glory to Christ by serving them.